You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. I distinctly remember the first time I ever saw Vincent Price. And it wasn't in a movie. Hi, this is Mark Redfield. Welcome to the program. Vincent Price, so many years after his death, is still an enormously beloved and popular star. His uh, films live on, on DVD and Blu-ray, and uh, many can be watched on the internet. The first time I saw Vincent Price may have been a rerun on television of Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, but I know for a fact that the first time I saw Vincent Price, it was at a distance, and uh, he was quite alive. When I was a kid, I had an Uncle Bob in Los Angeles, and Uncle Bob was very good about um, trying to expose me to popular culture and uh, wonderful things in Los Angeles. I remember him taking me to costume shops and joke shops, and um, there was... uh, the one time that he thought it would be a thrill for me to see the house that was used in the Vincent Price film that William Castle made, The House on Haunted Hill, which is uh, the famous Ennis House designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. It was restored in 2007 and uh, is in pretty good shape today. Now, as a kid, I didn't know who Vincent Price was and I had not yet seen House on Haunted Hill, the film from the 1950s. But I was quite impressed by the house and quite impressed by Uncle Bob that he would think that this would impress me. And um, Uncle Bob also uh, introduced me and I met uh, Forrest J. Ackerman, the editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland. But (laughs) that is another story. Anyway, Uncle Bob, in one of our sojourns and forays into Los Angeles, took me to a taping of the television game show Hollywood Squares. And uh, among the people that I recognized, Charlie Weaver, for instance, uh, who I believe was uh, in the center square, um, was Vincent Price. That's the first time I know for a fact that I ever laid eyes on him. Of course, in the ensuing years, I had seen his films, and I had seen a number of his uh, Edgar Allan Poe films. So, in a way, Vincent Price introduced me to Edgar Allan Poe because it was after that that I began to read Poe as a teenager. I met Vincent Price. He was touring his one-man show on Oscar Wilde called Diversions and Delights. And I was a freshman in college, and I was rehearsing a Moss Hart comedy called uh, Light Up the Sky. And I was playing the director in the play. It was a, it was a comedy about uh, theater types. And uh, my mother, who was a big Vincent Price fan, scored tickets at uh, Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. So one morning we drove down to catch the matinee, and... Uh, Well, I certainly knew who Vincent Price, the actor, was, and uh, I was quite thrilled to see that performance. After the show, Mom and I were hungry, and so we 
went across the street to a restaurant that I believe was called Geraldine's. And we sat at a table and uh, the waiter came and brought the water. And as we uh, gave our order for lunch, um, a pair of gentlemen came into the room and sat at a table right next to ours. Um, didn't know who the one gentleman was, but his company was Vincent Price. Well, Mom was beside herself, and I was quite interested in trying to remain cool. I believe I was 18 years old or something. But I couldn't help myself, and I said to Mr. Price that we had just seen the show, and we thought it was marvelous. And um, he then invited us to his table, and we had lunch with him. I would be fibbing if I told you wonderful stories about what we talked about, but I can't remember a thing in any kind of real detail. It was a marvelous 30 minutes, 40 tops. It felt like forever in, a, in the best of ways. And the most fascinating thing about meeting Vincent Price is that what I do remember is I didn't ask any fanboy questions. I didn't... I mean, we talked uh, about the play, and then he asked me what I was doing, and I told him I was studying theater in college. And he turned the tables and interviewed me. He was interested in the Moss Hart play that I was doing, and he knew it. And we talked about the theater, and we talked about acting, but I did not ask any of those kind of fanboy questions that uh, I would have loved to have asked him now that he's gone. But um, it was a marvelous experience. Of all of the great work in radio, film, and television, because Vincent Price worked continuously in his career, there was never really a lag. He was everywhere at some point. He has left us, of course, with director Roger Corman, a kind of Poe legacy. Here's Vincent Price meeting another star of stage, screen, radio, and television. Good evening, Mr. Price. Hello, Gordon. Make yourself comfortable, sir. Mr. Dunn will be down in a few moments. Thank you. May I mix you a drink? No, thank you. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yes, sir? Uh, I'm Jack Benny. Miss Dunn is expecting me. Oh, won't you come in? Thank you. May I take your coat, sir? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Your hat? Oh. oh. <laughs> well, Mr. Vincent Price. I'm Jack Benny, star of stage, screen, radio, and television. How do you do? <laughs> So the two rivals meet, eh? Rivals? What do you mean? Well, I guess I should have let Irene tell you, but uh, it looks as though I'm going to take your place in this picture. You're taking my place? 
Oh, that's ridiculous, old boy. Oh, no, it isn't. You see, at rehearsal tonight, you and I are both going to read the parts, and uh, the best man will win. The uh, best man? Yes. Mr. Benny, when two people are involved in a statement, the comparative is used. You don't say the best man will win, you say the better man will win. Oh. But when three or more people are involved, then the word best is the correct adjective. I see. So before we compete for this part, Mr. Benny, it might be well if you first learn to speak English. <laughs> Vincent Price was, and remains to his loving and loyal fans, a star of the first rank of stage, film, radio, and television. His distinctive debonair look, as carefully cultivated as the screen personas of Cary Grant's or John Wayne's trademark images, and his rich, mellifluous voice, recognizable in its silky, sometimes nasal purr, has forever guaranteed Price a place in the bright firmament of Hollywood stars. Born into a wealthy family on May 27, 1911 in St. Louis, Missouri, Vincent Leonard Price Jr., son of the president of the National Candy Company, was attracted to art at a very early age and, as a young man, studied fine art and history at Yale. The theater also beckoned. He made his professional stage debut in 1935 his film debut in 1938. Handsome, with a smooth and silky screen presence, Price found himself cast in villainous roles early, playing opposite Boris Karloff in Tower of London in 1939. Price could play the good guy, too, and in 1943 became the saint for radio audiences, playing the crime fighter for many years. You have been listening to another adventure of the saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. And now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, freedom is everybody's job. The Bill of Rights established our freedom and protects it. But freedom demands that each of us carry out our duties as a citizen. To vote in an informed way so that the best man is placed in public office. To serve on juries. To take an active interest in public issues. Remember, by making our form of government work better here... We strengthen democracy everywhere. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at the same time for another exciting adventure of the saint. Good night. His films in the 1950s seemed to lay the groundwork for his title, Master of Mayhem, affectionately bestowed upon him by his fans and the press. He starred in one of the top-grossing films of 1953, Warner Brothers' 3D chiller, House of Wax. Other horror films that decade included The Fly and William Castle's House on Haunted Hill. Price's screen villainy in the 1950s would even reach back to biblical times as he was cast opposite Charlton Heston's Moses in DeMille's The Ten Commandments. He was one of the first Hollywood actors to regularly appear on television, appearing on everything throughout his career, from the Jack Benny program to game shows. But in 1960, Price made a film that would forever link him to the shadowy worlds of mystery and the macabre, when he, at the invitation of director Roger Corman, took Edgar Allan Poe out of the high school classroom and put him in full widescreen color into drive-ins and neighborhood theaters all over America.
genius of Edgar Allan Poe could knit them so closely together. The burning passions of the purest of loves. The deadly passions of the madly prurient. Madeline, you're leaving this house with me tomorrow. Only I could. For hundreds of years, evil thoughts and evil deeds have been committed within these walls. The house itself is evil now. Here they all are. Ashes. This is monstrous. It waits for me, because very soon I shall be dead. Oh, Madeline, come away with me now. your own sister alive? I did. But she's dead now. The master hand of the macabre creates its masterpiece. The films may have been light on Poe, and some only borrowed a title, but the series of films were wildly successful and helped to birth an explosion of gothic horror entertainment that lasted through the early 1970s. Price appeared in seven Poe-inspired films that remain a delight for Poe fans all over the world. She will not die because she willed not to die. Lygia, the tale of terror Edgar Allan Poe thought his greatest. The masterfully macabre performance of Vincent Price together bring to life the undead. To haunt the living. What is the strange infatuation that draws a lady to the Stygian stranger who lives with his terrifying black cat in a castle of dark, somber mystery? Seeing you and 
seen her. Yet when you thought I was Lydia, you tried to attack me. You must trust me. Give over your will to mine. No harm will come to you. Give over your will to mine. The strangest love story ever told. Making her life a nightmare of heart-stopping horror, such as few humans have ever survived. picture screens Prince of Horror, Vincent Price. Garotum. No, I beg of you. Mercy, mercy. With the devil's own darling, Hazel Court. Lord Satan, send me a demon so I may know I'm to be your wife. And a lost, virginal angel of innocence, Jane Asher. I want to help save your soul so you can join me in the glories of hell. No, never. She's a woman cursed by Satan's seneschal, whose very existence turns the white rose blood red. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, pearls. Lavishly, he plants his corrupting seeds of sin, spreading living terror that not even the unsullied can escape. craves all the forbidden pleasures of the depraved. Each man creates his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. world, Mr. Barnett. The shrieking of mutilated victims became the music of his life. 
the blood of a thousand men and women was spilled within these walls. Limbs twisted and broken, flesh burned black. Starring Vincent Price, truly a master of the macabre. John Carr in a challenging role. Barbara Steele, more blood chilling than in Black Sunday. And introducing taunting Luana Anders. Nicholas. Is that you? Elizabeth? While we were up here mourning her, she was alive. Struggling to be free. The you are lying, sir. When Maria screamed, where were you? You lie! I'm going to torture you, Isabella. I'm going to make you suffer for your faithlessness to me. <laughs> you harlot! All the violence of angry seas. The unseen forces of the unknown. The unforgettable memories of a long-forgotten childhood. All these you will feel in your very blood. where you are, Bartholomew. You are about to enter hell. Price was introduced to new generations of fans in the 1980s and 90s when he voiced the narration for the Michael Jackson hit Thriller. Filmmaker Tim Burton paid tribute to Price in one of his first films, an animated short called, appropriately enough, Vincent, that concerned itself with a little boy who had a Price and Poe fixation. Vincent Malloy is seven years old. He's always polite and does what he's told. For a boy his age, he's considerate and nice. But he wants to be just like Vincent Price. His thoughts, though, aren't only of ghoulish crime. He likes to paint and read to pass some of the time. While other kids read books like Go, Jane, Go, Vincent's favorite author is Edgar Allan Poe. Here's Vincent Price in an episode of the radio program Suspense, broadcast on November 10th, 1957, adapted by John Dixon Carr and directed by William Robson. Here's Price in Poe's The Pit and the Pendulum. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. In a niche all his own, apart from other great tellers of tales of terror, stands the moody, dark, and devious genius, Edgar Allan Poe. Obscure and ambiguous, the rolling periods of his prose are not for the casual reader, no more than for the casual listener. 
But for sheer suspense compounded of horror piled upon horror, literature offers nothing more awful than the pit and the pendulum. The terror of the black pit would have sufficed a lesser imagination, but to this, the macabre intellect of Poe added the inescapable doom of the razor-sharp pendulum, and then piled on the rats and the moving walls of red-hot iron until the edge of the unbearable is reached. Can you take it? Can you listen through the next half hour? Try. Try to listen to Mr. Vincent Price, starring in The Pit and the Pendulum, which begins in exactly one minute. And now, Mr. Vincent Price stars in Edgar Allan Poe's immortal story of punishment by terror, The Pit and the Pendulum, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony. And when at length they unbound me and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy, indeterminate hum from which emerged the syllables of my name. Captain Jean d'Albret. Good fathers, gentlemen. We hear you, my son. Even now I have no knowledge of where I am or to whom I may be speaking. You're speaking to me, my son. I am Fra Pedro Despia, prior of the Dominicans of Segovia and Grand Inquisitor for all Spain. This, then, is the court of the Inquisition? It is. But I am a French officer. That is true. A soldier and creature of the arch-fiend, the Antichrist, Napoleon Bonaparte, who even now is at the gates of Madrid, while his general LaSalle menaces our city of Toledo itself. Nonetheless, I am a prisoner of war. By what right do you try me in this court? Let the clerk read the charges against the prisoner. Item, that on the fourth day of September, in the year of our Lord, 1808, the said Captain Jean d'Albray did wed and espouse that most noble lady, the Doña Beatriz Valdez, niece and ward of the illustrious... One moment. Excellency? This marriage was a deplorable thing, if you like, but lawful marriage, however regrettable in a case like this, is no sin nor crime. There are other matters in the indictment. Then continue, but give us nothing that is not material. Item, that on the 12th of October, 1808... The said Jean d'Albray, being in command of a battery of light artillery, did direct the fire of his guns against the holy church of Santa Marta the Innocent, and thereby, of his wicked malice, destroyed that church utterly. Captain d'Albray, is this charge true? Yes. You admit it. Good father, the church blew up, did it not? Would you boast of your sin, young man? It blew up because it was stored with kegs of gunpowder for your army. I had every right to fire on it. And that is all the defense you have to make? I tell you, I had every right to fire on it by military law. Is military law above God's law? I don't know. I did my duty. Long live the emperor! Captain Dalbray, mark what I say. No man, however great his heresy, is condemned to be burnt in the fire if he first recant and acknowledge the error of his ways. Do you so? I cannot. I was under orders. I obeyed them. Then, Jean d'Albray, there can be no mercy, no pity, 
since there is no atonement. The sentence of this court, therefore, is... I had swooned in terror, yet I will not say that all of consciousness was lost in the deepest slumber, no, in delirium, no, in a swoon, no, in death, no. Even in the grave, all is not lost, else there is no immortality for man. moment, we continue with the second act of Suspense. But first, some big news. Long pole, new Pontiac, the pole, new Pontiac, the pole, new Pontiac is here. With the Pontiac front seat that lets you in the back seat. Party automatic on me. Moves up and back just like that. Automatically, a portable radio that pulls right out and plays all alone. When you plug it back in, it's a car radio, high fidelity too. What a nice tone! Set your speed on the new speedometer. Honey, automatically. If you go too fast, a buzzer goes buzz. Honey, automatically. More good reasons you love the bold new Pontiac. Party automatically. The bold new Pontiac is here. And now, Mr. Vincent Price in The Pit and the Pendulum by Edgar Allan Poe. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. No, even in the grave all is not lost There were shadows of memory which told me indistinctly of tall figures that lifted me And bore me in silence down, down, still down Until a hideous dizziness oppressed me at that descent into the earth There was a vague horror at my heart because of that heart's unnatural stillness then as consciousness swam back to my wits again. Darkness. A damp stone floor in darkness. Oh, Beatrice. Oh, my wife. Did you call me, Jean? Beatrice. You here in the dungeons of the Inquisition? No, my poor Jean. I am only here in your imagination. Am I mad, then? No. But your brain is fevered. You only think you hear me. I hear you clearly. You won't leave me. As long as I am in your heart, I shall be here. Have they chained you to the wall? No. No, they, they've taken away my uniform. They've given me sandals and a robe of rough cloth. But I'm unchained. Beatrice, suppose... Suppose they have... Buried me alive. Have courage, Jean. You must have courage. Then tell me. Tell me where you are now, Beatrice. In the flesh, I mean. In the old house by the olive grove. 
scorned of my people. Yes, yes, I know. Each morning I climb to the hilltop and watch for them. Yes. Sometimes I think I hear gun wheels rumble in the hills and long moving columns with the red dust rising above them. Go on, go on. First come the heavy cavalry in plume-crested helmets, on their flanks wheeling like hawks, light hussars in blue and scarlet, and behind them in a glitter of bayonets, as vast as light points on the sea, rank upon rank, the long gray coats and tall bearskin caps... And the old guard and the grand army. It's only a vision, my dear one. They do not come. Will they ever come, Beatrice? I cannot tell. Then, then I must face, face what has been prepared for me. Can you stand up, Jean? I, I think so. Then walk. Yes. Walk as far as you can. Measure the limits of the cell. If this is not a tomb. Oh, I'll try, Beatrice. I'll try. This robe impedes me, and the floor is treacherous with slime. But, but I'll try. I'll... Look out! Jean! I'm all right. I I fell on my face. The robe tripped me. But... What, Jean? But my hand is in front of me, lower than my face, but I... I feel nothing. Nothing, Jean. It's a pit. A deep, circular pit, and I fell on the very edge of it. They would have had you walk into it. Yes. But you didn't. You're saved, Jean. Saved, Beatrice. Saved. My torture has been merely postponed. At last, a deep sleep fell upon me, a sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, I know not. But when I opened my eyes once again, I, I could see. Yes, see. My prison was large and lofty, its walls formed of massive iron plates. A wild, sulfurous luster, I, I could not trace its origin, lit up the dungeon and the circular pit. I could see, but I could not move. I lay on my back on a low framework of wood, securely bound by a long fastening resembling a surgical bandage. The bandage passed round and round my body, leaving at liberty only my head and my left arm. With much exertion, I could supply myself with food from an earthen dish on the floor beside me. It was meat, highly seasoned, and there was no water. Beatrice... Beatrice, where are you? I am here, Jean. Your voice sounds stronger, and I, I can see you. You are weaker, my dear, and more fevered. Look, Beatrice. Where? At the ceiling of this room, 30, 40 feet up. What do you see? I see, painted on the ceiling, a figure of Father Time. Yes, but this Father Time carries no scythe. He carries instead what looks like a gigantic pendulum from an ancient clock. And the pendulum is moving. A painting cannot move. But I swear the pendulum did. It swung a little back and forth, just like a real pendulum. Beatrice, take care. Take care of what? Take care of the rats. The rats from the pit. They're swarming out in dozens. You can see their eyes glitter. What do they want? What do they want? I've caught the scent of the meat in the dish beside you. I'll not get it. Go! Go away, you vermin! Au revoir, Jean. 
Beatrice, where are you going? I can hardly hear you. You are sending me away. I'm Jean. sending you away. My poor loved one. You can't bear to see the rats running about my feet, can you? Even when you know I'm not here. Beatrice. It is true, Jean. You are sending me away. Yes, yes, it's true. In a cell swarming with vermin, there are others I would rather see here. I would rather see. Did you call me Captain Dalbray? Then in spirit, I am here. Go. I command you, Fra Antonio. Go! Not until I have first told you what is in store for you. Which is? Listen. Do you hear anything? Yes, yes, I, I hear something. Turn your eyes upward. Look at the ceiling. The pendulum. Aye, the pendulum. It is descended. Only a foot or so as yet. As you notice, it is not really a pendulum. No? No. Its underside is a crescent formed of razor-sharp steel. You mean... You mean... A ponderous weight, Captain Dalbray. Its movement is slow now, but soon it will take on momentum. It will swing wider and wider, and with each broad movement, it will creep a trifle lower. The steel is directly over me. Yes, above the region of your heart. How long before? You need have no immediate fear. It will not be too soon. But how soon? Who can tell? Minutes, hours... Days. Who can say how long it was? It might have been many days before that hideous blade swept so closely as to fan me with its acrid breath. Down. Still unceasingly, still inevitably down. The sharp steel flashed past within three inches of my chest. And then, only then, Beatrice... Beatrice. I hear you calling, Jean. I am here. Oh, Beatrice. Is there no hope, my dear? How can there be? Ten, twelve more vibrations and it will fray the threads of my robe only lightly as a razor in a delicate hand. There will be many sweeps down before it bites deep. I can't escape it, and yet... And yet? And yet, if only I could use my wits... You kept me away from you, Jean. You locked me out of your thoughts. If I am here only in your thoughts, why should I fear the rats? The rats? The rats? Do they still swarm here? Across the floor and over the meat platter. Yes. They have taken nearly all your food. Yes, they are ravenous. They have sharp teeth. The meat is oily and spiced. If I take what remains of it... Scatter, you vermin! Rub that meat on the bandages that hold me here. Try it, Jean. Try it. may be too late. If I move my body of a fraction of an inch up, I... Try it, I tell you. Try. Can I stand those rats crawling across me? Can the flesh bear it? Oh, one of them has leaped on the wooden framework. Yes. Another follows. They are gnawing at the bandage. Seven, eight more sweeps of the pendulum. Does the bandage give way? Lie still, Jean. Lie still. Ten, a dozen rats now. Is death, I wonder, worse than this disgust? A dozen sharp knives could do no better. The bandage has loosened to ribbons. If you move sideways, yes. carefully, and drop to the floor. Beatrice. Beatrice, I, I, I can't move. My arms and legs are numb. There is no the power to... The steel has frayed your robe. A minute more will be too late. Try. 
them with all the strength that is in me and the hatred I bear my enemies. You're free. Yes, the second time I'm... I'm free. See, Jean, the pendulum stops. They are drawing it back up through the roof. Each move I make is watched. You never doubted that? No. Yet with all they could do to you, they have failed twice. They will not fail a third time, my dear. Listen. What do you hear? A groaning, a grinding as of metal. It is only the cogwheels of the pendulum. I think not, Beatrice. Why not? It seems to come from behind these iron-plated walls. It seems to shake the dungeon as a mill wheel might shake at it. Stand up, my poor Jean. Get up off your knees. I can't, I can't endure any more. Don't you sense even now the odor of the heated iron? Heated iron? Yes, the walls are beginning to glow red. Oh, Beatrice, I have been much humbled. But I, I won't have you see me in tears. I order you to go. Sure, in the name of yes, heaven. Yes, in the name of heaven, go. In just a moment... We continue with the third act of Suspense. More families, far more families, use X-Lax than any other laxative. X-Lax is the preferred laxative for one important reason. X-Lax helps you toward your normal regularity, gently, overnight. Today, many doctors recommend trusted X-Lax for youngsters as well as grown-ups. That's because X-Lax gives you the relief you want. The gentle way that nature wants, without upset. When you take chocolated X-Lax at night, it does not disturb your sleep. And X-Lax is so effective that the next morning, you'll be well on your way toward your normal regularity. Seldom, if ever, will you need X-Lax the next day. Little wonder that of all the laxatives made today, tablet, powder, or liquid, X-Lax is the most popular. Next time, any time that you or any member of your family needs a laxative... Make that laxative pleasant-tasting chocolated X-Lax. Introductory size, only 15 cents. And now... Act Three of The Pit and the Pendulum, starring Mr. Vincent Price. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. heat pervaded the prison. I could draw no breath of air into my lungs. Against the loom of that fiery destruction, the thought of the pit and its coolness came like balm. Does the pit please you, Captain Dalbray? You again? Do you find its contents pleasing? Not the pit. And how shall you avoid it? Look! This dungeon has changed its shape. That is true. The walls are closing in. It was formerly a square, and now, now it, it is... it is flattening slowly towards the center to force me into the pit. Of course. It will force you along with me. Again, apparently, you must be told, Captain Dalbray, that you are speaking only to your own sick fancy. I am not here at all. Farewell. Now, flatter and flatter grew the red-hot walls. I shrank back. But the closing walls pressed me relentlessly onward toward the loathsome pit. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer an inch of foothold. I screamed once. I tottered on the edge of the pit. I averted my eyes. Then there was a discordant hum of human voices. And then a loud blast of many trumpets. The fiery walls rushed back. 
An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell fainting into the abyss. It was that of General LaSalle. The French army had entered Toledo. The Spanish Inquisition was in the hands of its enemy. Suspense, in which Mr. Vincent Price starred in William N. Robeson's production of The Pit and the Pendulum by Edgar Allan Poe, adapted for suspense by John Dixon Carr. In a moment, the names of tonight's supporting players and a word about next week's story of suspense. Here's good news for everyone who appreciates fine music. Hein Soups offer you the LP record bargain of the year. The best of 57 in classical music by famous RCA Victor. It's a genuine Red Seal LP of $3.98 quality. Yet it costs you just $1 in cash and four labels from any of Heinz condensed soups. That's right, just a $1 bill and four Heinz soup labels. Think of it, 43 minutes of the world's great music. Highlights from eight RCA Victor albums, performed by famous orchestras directed by Morton Gould, Arthur Fiedler, Fritz Reiner, and others. Here's the only way you can get this wonderful 12-inch record. Send a $1 bill and four Heinz soup labels to Best of 57, Box 57, Rockaway, New Jersey. I repeat, Best of 57, Box 57, Rockaway, New Jersey. Send for yours right away. Supporting Mr. Price in The Pit and the Pendulum were Ellen Morgan, Jay Novello, Ben Wright, and John Hoyt. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. America listens most to the CBS Radio Network. Thank you so much for listening to the program. We hope that you enjoyed it. And we're very glad that you have subscribed to the podcast. We have many, many more stories to tell. Hey, Vincent. I really thank you for coming on the show tonight, and so do all the Muppet monsters. Well, thank you, Kermit. I never met a monster I didn't like. From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. You are here this evening, no doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. <laughs> For many years, my, uh, my, my stories, my tales, they're more popular than my poetry. 
magazines and readership just demanded. Oh, new tale, every issue. Oh, God, do you hear it? Louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. This program copyright the Mark Redfield Company. Discover our newest audiobook releases at redfieldartsaudio.com.